Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48. Episode 7, Stranded. Hey, Cammy. What's up? Hey, uh, just checking in with you. Um, so, just wanted to let you know that since corporate decided to decline our request to go to New York to follow <laughs> the only piece of concrete evidence that a presumed dead man left uh, over 20 years ago. Which, I might remind you, is the reason we started doing is this podcast. the reason we started I know there was thing. a pivot. I know there was a pivot and that they like the pivot, but we signed up to do this thing. Right. And so it's a little frustrating that they keep denying us the chance to do that thing. Yeah. But we decided that, uh, you know, if they're going to make us go to Florida... That we're gonna we're gonna, we're go gonna to Florida. do Florida, yeah, because we saved the company so much money staying in dive hotels right. and driving around that, you know what? We should use the budget for what the budget was intended for, yeah, making sure that we have a good time. Yeah, exactly. So it's been lovely. Yeah, here at yeah, it's been lovely. Yeah. Also, Cammy, make sure to cut this all out before you <laughs> right. the episode. Yeah, we don't want corporate to. Uh, Look too deeply into what we've been doing. Yeah, don't, don't look at the receipts, please. <laughs> so, anyways, um, welcome back to Lower 48, everyone. This is Austin here with Zach. Yep, I'm right here. And uh, we are in sunny Florida right now. Yeah. Well, it's a little cloudy, mm-hmm. but you get the idea. Yeah, it's it's a little town called Cedar Key. So it's right in the Gulf of Mexico. It's just a series of keys. And honestly, it's quite beautiful. Like, the sun setting over the ocean at night is pretty spectacular yeah and I'm, i've never seen like fireflies in real life so that was like kind of a cool sight so yeah it was it was a lot of fun we we stayed at this bed and breakfast mm-hmm. um was, just right on like the edge of town and we're talking like I, we say bed and breakfast like this was just a lady's house yeah gorgeous home large very beautiful old, like victorian yeah, era nice home. dock on the back yeah uh and the the host was this lady named ethel she was ancient and she was so nice she she made all our meals for us and she learned our names the first day yeah. and like and and would like make sure she would check in with us she always pinch sure. our cheeks and call us sweetie and you know it made me feel really good yeah it made me feel like uh, i was wanted <laughs> for once in my entire yeah. life yeah but uh it was a lot of fun she do you remember the first night Oh, that she, was, it was kind of weird. I, she fed us dinner, and then impromptu, in the middle of a meal, she just stood up and sang a song for us. Like, uh, her own song. It's not a real song. Yeah, no, she made it up. Well, I guess it was a real song. She, <laughs> uh, she wrote it. Yeah. But it went on for, like, five minutes, and it was so much fun. So the second night that we were there mm-hmm. um, is when we really got to talk to her. Uh, she had this beautiful study mm-hmm. where you could just sit and, and read and talk to some of the other guests and uh, and it seemed like it's kind of been the slow time for the bed and breakfast so uh, so I got to talk right with Ethel yeah and it was like it was really fun hearing her stories but um, as we were chatting we kind of told her we were planning on doing some like kayaking because we heard that there's some really good like night hikes in some of the other islands 
And so we wanted to go out and explore. There's this one island you can kind of see it's it's close enough that we could kayak to it, but far enough away that it's really isolated. But it has huge trees on it. And oh, we were like, yeah, that it, would be so cool to go. And that's when she told us in no uncertain terms to not go there yeah. under any circumstances. Yeah. And so obviously we asked her why. And this is what she told us. I've lived here in Cedar Key my entire life. Born in the very bed you two are staying in and raised in this very house. I went to the little one-room school over on Widden back when it was a private school and then stayed here instead of leaving like so many of my peers. I did bookkeeping for local fishermen until the net ban in the 90s killed those jobs and then started up this here bed and breakfast. There's not much that has ever gone on here that I haven't known about, past or present. Nearly a quarter of a century after the end of the Civil War, things were bad here in Cedar Key. The new Tampa Railroad had all but destroyed the local economy by taking away all the shipping business, and people were leaving town left and right. During this time, there was a general feeling of despair that permeated the town. A local man in his 20s used this to his advantage and took over as mayor, instantly beginning to terrorize everyone harassing women and children in the streets, and shooting anyone who stood up to him. He locked off the main road into town, controlling who could come and go, effectively keeping the state and federal governments from being able to intervene. My grandmother had grown up here going to school with this man, and had rebuffed his romantic advances many times during their childhood. She had gotten married to her first husband not long before all this happened, and lived with him close to Piney Point, far enough from the main street that the new mayor's antics didn't really affect them all that much. Her husband worked as a fisherman and usually launched from a dock within walking distance of their house. About a year into the mayor's regime, some of his men started showing up at the dock in the morning and evening, whenever her husband was at port. Not long after that, they would start following him home, walking close enough that he could see them, but far enough away that they weren't a physical threat. One day, after a few weeks of this, they all suddenly just disappeared. No more men at the dock, and no more following him home. This was a great relief to my grandmother, and things started feeling normal again. Not even a week later, her husband came home late one evening. He had spent some time in town helping one of their friends fix up their storefront after work, and told her that he had noticed the mayor staring at him from the bar across the street. But nothing had happened. They had a late supper and started winding down for bed. Sometime close to 10 o'clock, they had both gone upstairs when there was a sudden pounding at their front door. A storm had started up, and they almost didn't hear it over the pattering of the rain on their roof. Her husband had just started going down the stairs towards the door when it was kicked in with a loud crash. For a moment, time froze, my grandmother standing in the doorway to their bedroom at the top of the stairs, her husband not three steps from the bottom, and in the now open doorway, the mayor. My grandmother looked on in horror as the mayor reached out from under his overcoat, a pistol in his hand, and shot her husband in the head. She screamed as his body hit the stairs and then collapsed to her knees, instantly feeling completely powerless and numb. She watched as the clearly drunk mayor stumbled inside and tried to navigate his way toward her, struggling to get around the fresh body on the stairs. She could see his mouth moving as he yelled up at her, but heard nothing through a thick buzzing that clouded her head. As he started to get closer, a voice broke through the numbness, coming from in the recesses of her own mind. Run, it said. Now. She had to use the doorframe to pull herself up, and turn toward the bedroom, away from the man who had just murdered her husband. 
She faintly heard him yell at her, and then sensed rather than saw a bullet strike the door behind where she had just passed. Quickly she went to the window, sliding it open and climbing out onto the roof. For a fraction of a second she hesitated, and then launched herself forward, sliding off the roof and onto the ground below. The adrenaline was taking over now, and she didn't even feel her ankle twist horribly at the impact. She just rushed to her feet and started slipping down their small dock to a little rowboat tied at the end as fast as she could. As she untied the boat, she looked back up at the house and saw a muzzle flash coming from the upstairs window she had just jumped out of. She ducked down into the boat, pulling the last of the line with her, and was instantly swept away into the darkness of the storm. There was no way to know how long she had been out in the dark, pummeled by the rain and carried wherever the storm pleased. After some time, her ankle started to hurt horribly, and she eventually passed out from the exhaustion and pain. She woke the next day, huddled at the bottom of the rowboat. The sun beat down as the movement of the waves gently rocked her back and forth. She slowly sat up and looked out across the water. Behind her, she could just make out the coastline of Cedar Key in the distance. As she tried to pull herself up onto one of the benches in the small boat, a sharp pain shot up through her right leg. She looked down and saw that her ankle was swollen and bruised. She must have heard it when she fell from the roof. In that moment, everything came flooding back. The shape of the mayor in the door. The back of her husband's head as it blew apart. Jumping off the roof into the rain. It was a nightmare. She broke down crying and let it all out until she just physically couldn't anymore. Finally, she pulled herself onto the bench and took stock of her situation. Here she was, floating in the Gulf of Mexico, still in her nightgown from the night before, no shoes, ankles swollen to twice its normal size. Her home and the man who destroyed it were behind her, but in front, and not too far away, was a small island. She pulled the oars from under the benches of the rowboat and started slowly rowing in that direction. As she grew closer to the island, she could see past a small beach to a canopy of thick, old trees that covered everything. This was odd at that time, as the local logging industry had basically stripped all of the surrounding islands of any trees. She made it to the beach and pulled herself off the boat, using one of the oars as a makeshift crutch. As the sun beat down on her, she limped to the tree line and found instant relief in the blissful shade the trees provided. It was strangely alive here in this isolated grove. Birds called out amongst the treetops, and the woods were teeming with bug life. Moss coated the ground around the trees, and she collapsed on her back, soaking in the cool air and peaceful sounds. She had intended to come to shore to die, but there was something about this place that suddenly gave her a flicker of hope. Hope that, despite what had happened, she could maybe not just survive, but keep living. She immediately got to work, using some driftwood and strips of cloth ripped from her nightgown to bind her foot. Still hobbling on the oar-turned-crutch, she moved further into the trees toward the center of the island. As she moved through the gnarled trees, she noticed that the ground was starting to get squishy beneath her feet, water seeping up through the moss between her bare toes. Moving further still, she found a large rock formation causing a break in the trees. Water ran down the surface of the rock into a small stream flowing quickly and steadily deeper into the trees. The sound of running water suddenly made her realize how thirsty she was, and instantly she was aware of how sharp every breath felt in her throat. The water was so clear and inviting that without much thought, she fell to her knees next to it and started scooping it into her hands, slurping it up greedily. It was fresh and delicious. When she had drunk her fill, she lay next to the stream, her stomach feeling abnormally distended, 
Slowly, she worked her way back to her feet and looked downstream to where the water disappeared into the trees. I might as well keep going, she thought, and followed it into the thick hammock. It was much easier to limp along next to the stream than it had been climbing through all the twisted trees earlier. After not too long, she found herself at the entrance to what at first seemed like a large clearing. The trees broke into a large open circle covered by a gigantic kapok tree, at least 300 feet tall, with a canopy of branches that covered the entire clearing with shade. The trunk was at least 20 feet around in the middle, and at its base were giant buttress roots bursting out of the soil, twisting around each other at least 50 feet up the trunk. At its base was a large opening between several roots that was deep enough that my grandmother couldn't see into it in the dim light. The opening extended down and touched the ground right in front of the most extraordinary sight yet. A large pool of fresh water, so wide it almost filled the entire clearing, and so deep that it became pitch black just a few yards beneath the surface. My grandmother sat taking all of this in. Never in her wildest dreams had she imagined something like this. A small island in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, teeming with life and filled with seemingly endless fresh water. It was extraordinary. As she looked over the clearing, she saw a small key deer, no more than three feet tall, come out of the trees almost directly across the pool from her. How is this possible, she thought to herself, as the tiny deer bent down to drink from the pool. How could a key deer get this far north? Surely not by swimming. Lost in thought, she almost missed the dark shape that appeared underwater, rising slowly and silently from the depths of the pool. As she became aware of the figure, it slowly made its way toward the ripples the deer was sending across the water's surface. Suddenly it sprang from the water, breaking the surface and clamping its long mouth down on the poor deer's neck, breaking it instantly and pulling the corpse down into the water. My grandmother watched as it swam quickly just under the surface of the water toward the base of the large tree. At first she thought it was some sort of crocodile, but when it reached the edge of the pool, it pulled itself to shore with long, gangly limbs and hobbled to the large opening in the tree roots. As it reached the opening, it suddenly stood up on its hind legs and rested one large hand on the frame of the opening. My grandmother was too far to see it clearly, but could just make out that it spat the deer into its other hand and looked back over the water for just a moment before disappearing into what now she surmised was its den. She was frozen in place, but her mind was racing. What was this creature? It was clearly an animal, but when it stood it had seemed almost human. Its proportions were way off though, like looking at your reflection in one of the funhouse mirrors at the fair. As quietly as she could, she turned and made her way back toward the beach. The further she got from the clearing, the faster she went, not caring how much noise she made, not caring about the pain in her ankle, just wanting to reach the rowboat that now represented safety from the creature in the pool. She broke the tree line and shuffled down the beach, stopping suddenly when she realized that her rowboat was nowhere to be seen. She had been in no position to pull it securely up on the beach when she arrived, and it had been swept away while she was exploring. Just a little ways down the beach, a large rock protruded from the sand. Not wanting to go back into the trees, my grandmother went over and sat down with her back against it, facing the ocean. She watched the waves crashing by, and felt despair start to seep back through her body. Her husband was gone, and now she was going to die, alone on this island, nothing more than food for the creature in the clearing. 
She sat there until the sun started going down behind her. The light was streaking through the trees and started to dance across the water in front of her. She turned to look and despite her situation couldn't help but appreciate the beauty of what she was seeing. The moment of peace was interrupted quickly though. A dark shape, silhouetted by the setting sun, was pacing back and forth at the edge of the tree line, unwilling or maybe unable to breach the line into the direct light. As the sun disappeared behind the horizon, the hard light dissipated into a soft glow. The creature came tentatively out of the tree line, now testing this new soft light. Suddenly it reared on its hind legs and let out a guttural screech. My grandmother shot to her feet as it dropped back down and came bounding across the beach at her. She backed quickly into the water, holding her paddle crutch like a club. She kept backing up until she came to the edge of the short reef and watched as the creature skidded to a halt at the waterline. In the soft twilight glow, she could now clearly see its thick, bluish-green skin. Its eyes seemed completely white and were pushed too far on either side of its slightly triangular head. Its mouth seemed too big and was filled with small but sharp teeth, and as it looked back at her, it continuously licked its lips with its long gray tongue. It stood at the edge of the water for a moment and then tentatively stuck its front hand in. It let out a cry of pain, leaping backward and cradling its hand like it had been burned. It lay there crying out for a while until finally it crawled back onto all fours and started pacing at the edge of the water. Not far from where my grandmother stood was a flat rock sticking out of the reef just high enough for her to climb up and be out of the water. She sat there for the whole night, drifting in and out of a restless sleep. When the sun finally came up behind her, she saw that the creature was nowhere to be found. She spent as long as she could on the beach that day, until finally the sun got too hot and she was forced to seek refuge in the shade of the trees. Moving carefully, she made her way back to the large rock formation and the stream. She took a moment to drink heavily, and then rested against the rocks, letting the running water cool her down. Exhaustion was finally overcoming fear, and she started to doze off. Before drifting away into blissful sleep, there was a slight crack from not too far away in the trees. She sat bolt upright and heard the distinct sounds of something coming her way through the brush. She shot to her feet and looked around, but there was nowhere to go. Starting to panic slightly, she took a step back away from the sound and bumped into the rock formation. She looked up and realized it was all she had. She dropped the oar crutch and started to climb. Slow at first, but then faster and faster as the fear overwhelmed the pain pulsing up from her foot. She reached the top and found a giant natural bowl eroded into the rock, filled with rainwater and leaking out into the stream. It was wide and shallow, so she rolled over the lip directly into it. Pulling herself back to the edge, she peeked over and watched the trees where the noise was coming from. Closer and closer they came, until finally, Another key deer broke through the trees and sauntered up to the stream for a drink. My grandmother could have laughed with relief, but she was too tired. She lay in the basin of water for a while, letting the cool water and the hot sun battle each other across her body. As she stood to climb back down, she looked out and realized that she was just high enough to see across the tops of the trees to the gulf, and further even to Cedar Key. She almost started to cry again at the sight so close but so far away and with the mayor still running around would she really be any safer there than stuck with the creature on this island 
As these thoughts rushed through her mind, she noticed something in the water, some distance away from Cedar Key. It was three small rowboats moving steadily toward North Key, another island just south of where she was. She watched as they beached and then disappeared into the trees. It was hard to make out, but it looked like at least five people had gotten off the boats. Were they looking for her? She waited up in the bowl for several hours until the figures came out of the trees on North Key and pushed their boats back into the water. The boats turned and started making their way toward her island. She climbed down from the basin, picked up her oar, and started moving back through the trees toward the shore, hoping against hope that they were coming to rescue her. She waited at the tree line and watched as the boats came closer and closer. All her hopes were dashed when they came in close enough to make out the people on the boats. There were five of them, the mayor, and four of his men. Her mind started racing. She had no doubt that they were there to kill her, or worse, to take her back to see her with the mayor by force. She was stuck, the mayor and his men on the beach in front, but the creature in the pool behind. The sun was starting to set as the boats arrived on the beach, and she made up her mind. She needed one of those boats. She watched as the men started a small fire on the beach and discussed how to split the island among them. Initially, she thought she should hide and wait until they all went past into the trees, then sneak out and steal one of their boats. That was the smart, maybe safe way to do this. But catching a glimpse of the mayor's face caused a fury like she had never felt to surge through her. Now that he was here within reach, that rage pulsed through her body, driving all thought of escape and mercy from her mind. She slipped back, deeper into the trees, and made her way to the stream to wait. She would only need one of them to follow her for this to work. She didn't have to wait long. The sky darkened, and soon she saw the glowing light from a torch flickering through the trees. She waited until she saw the face of the man carrying it. Not the mayor. Oh well, she thought. It's a start. She started down the stream, following it by feel rather than sight. She let her oar bump into trees every once in a while, making some noise, not too much, but enough to keep the man on her trail moving in the right direction. Once or twice, she heard him call out in a teasing sing-song sort of way. She didn't listen to what he said, though. She was too focused on where she was going. She felt when she breached the clearing and started making her way around the mouth of the pool to the left. As she went, she quickly bent down and groped around until she found a small stone. When the man carrying the torch came into the clearing, she froze and watched as he waved the torch around, trying to get his bearings. In the faint light from the torch, she could see the mouth of the creature's den, about ten feet in front of her. Trying to stay as silent as possible, she threw the stone at it as hard as she could. It rattled around the roots, and the man sprang forward, laughing, as he pulled a pistol out from his coat. He reached the creature's den and held up the torch into the entrance, calling out her name into the darkness. The creature appeared in front of him, flickering in the firelight. It climbed out of a hollowed-out nest in the ceiling of the wooden cavern and slowly lowered itself to the ground in front of the man. He stood frozen watching this abomination rise to its full height until it opened its mouth and let out the same screech my grandmother had heard it make on the beach the night before. The man screamed and fired his gun at the creature, who dropped down and dove headfirst into him, throwing them both to the ground. The man dropped his torch and gun and let out a few more screams that sounded oddly wet as the creature tore into his flesh. 
Just then, another man carrying a torch broke into the clearing at a full run. He yelled out at the sight of the creature, and immediately started firing his own gun at it. It left the body of the first man and sprinted toward this new victim. As soon as the creature left the first man, my grandmother started to move. She dashed forward toward the body in the mouth of the den, illuminated by the light of his dropped torch. His gun was there somewhere, and she wanted it. She reached him and picked up the torch, desperately looking around for the pistol. Suddenly, the hair on the back of her neck stood straight up, and she froze. She realized that the sounds of the creature taking care of its second victim had stopped, and everything was deadly silent. From behind her, she heard a low growl. She slowly turned and lifted up the torch, illuminating the face of the creature, who was now just a few feet away, slowly moving forward. She backed up until she was stopped by one of the giant roots that made up the entrance to the den, but the creature kept coming, its face getting closer and closer, until it was less than two inches from her own. It turned one milky eye toward her, and she realized that the color was actually a thin protective membrane when it opened it to reveal a shockingly human-looking eye underneath. She turned her head slightly, pushing it back away from the creature and into the tree. It opened its large mouth and let out a screech, showering her in spittle. It reached up one arm to strike her, when BANG! A gunshot rang across the clearing. Two more men with torches had entered, and both had their guns out, firing at the creature. Behind them, my grandmother could see another torch bobbling through the trees toward them. The creature immediately lost interest in her and started running toward the men, causing it pain. Without hesitation, she took off running, not feeling a thing in her hurt foot, down the stream bed, through the trees, and onto the beach. As soon as she broke through the tree line, she threw her new torch away and went straight for the rowboats. As she reached the boat closest to the reef, she realized that she still had her oar in her hand. She tossed it into the boat and started pushing it down toward the water. The effort was tremendous, and she didn't hear the figure coming up behind her until it was too late. The sound of a revolver hammer being pulled back stopped her short. I thought that was you running through the trees, came a raspy voice from behind her. Go ahead and turn around now. She slowly rotated to face the young mayor, who was pointing his gun at her head. She put herself parallel to the boat, leaving her right hand resting on its bow. A wide, crazy smile stretched across the mayor's face as he used his other hand to hold up his torch and look directly into her eyes. Bye-bye now. He started to put pressure on the trigger when the creature came bursting out of the trees, thundering towards them. The mayor saw the expression of my grandmother's face and turned to look at the unexpected noise. He flinched as the creature skidded to a halt at the edge of the salt water. They were just out of reach. The flinch was all my grandmother needed. Quick as a whip, she reached into the boat and lifted out her oar with both hands, swinging it toward the mayor as hard as she could. She struck him just below his neck. Not a fatal blow, but it was enough. He lost his balance and fell backward onto the sand, barely breaching the waterline. The creature grabbed him and dragged him further out of the water, sinking its teeth deep into his throat. My grandmother stood transfixed as blood spurted out of the wound on the mayor's neck. His feet started to twitch wildly as the creature went back again and again, tearing at his flesh until finally he went still, his head barely attached to his body. She stared at the sack of meat that used to be the man that killed her husband 
expressionless. Finally, she looked up at the creature, who had sat back and was staring directly into her eyes. They stayed there for a moment, eyes locked on each other, while the creature's tongue flitted across its lips. It heaved itself up, took the mayor's body in its teeth, and dragged it away into the trees. After watching it go, my grandmother slowly turned around, pushed the rowboat past the reef, climbed on board, and started rowing out into open water. Ethel told us that her grandmother's ankle had never fully healed. Yeah, she that, walked with a limp yeah. for the rest of her life. Yeah, we also learned that Ethel's mother was the child of her second husband. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which, I mean, I only include here because I, I think it's interesting that this is like a family legend kind of like passed right. down. Yeah, well, and it expands beyond that, too, because this is a personal story from her family that she told us, like this family legend that they've passed down. But we went to the bar the next day in town. Yeah. And we just went in because we saw that they had some bar cats. And so we stopped in to pet the cats, obviously. You have to pet the, bo the bobtail <laughs> yeah, cat. Yeah, like, exactly. Too cute. So we went in to pet the cats and we, you know, bought some lunch and we were chatting with them. And we talked to the lady who was working behind the counter about it. And she told us that... It's like known, you don't go to that island and that anybody who's ever gone there has never come back. Like that's a local thing. That, so it ex, it's expanded beyond her family. You know, it's this is like crazy. this local lore, which is so cool, I think. I mean, that's, I, honestly, that's the reason why we do this, right? Yeah. Just like learn yeah. that kind of thing. Well, and in the moment it was really scary, so we did not do it. Right, We right. stayed in with her that night. We just chatted with her for the rest of the night and went to bed. Which honestly, I think that that was more it was more interesting than yeah. you know seeing some dark trees. Yeah, exactly. No, it was a it was a really great time. This was the break we needed. Yeah, honestly. exactly. After especially after the disappointment of not being able to go right to New York. Oh, but. one last thing. When we had first arrived at Ethel's house, I had noticed that above the couch, displayed like an old Civil War sword, <laughs> was an oar. Yeah. And I didn't know what that was about. Yeah, it was like mounted on a plaque. Yeah. Yeah. But after she told us that story, we realized that that's the ore that her grandmother used. Yeah, that's the real ore from the story. So that's it's just pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a cool detail. But so overall, we're in a better mood now, Cammy. We're gonna we're gonna get back into it. Yep, back yep. into the groove. We accept the limitations that you've put upon us. Sorry, the corporates put upon us. Right, and uh, we're we're so excited to go stay in a dumpy hotel in <laughs> Alabama next. So. We'll see right. you there. Bye, Gabby. Bye. Lower 48 is a production of Winterhawk Podcasting. Written and presented by Zach Berry and Austin Meredith. With music by Tyra Orgill. To learn more about our other great podcasts, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com. <laughs>